Open your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 8. When America landed on the moon in the 1960s in Apollo 11, they asked other nations if they would want to send a message which they put in something that they put on the moon. And the message the Vatican sent was Psalm 8. I think that's appropriate for a couple of reasons. One, because it speaks of the world as being God's and also because it speaks of the moon itself. This psalm does. And let's look at the words of Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is one of the psalms you may be more familiar with, but it addresses God in second person. The first couple of verses are going to focus on God's glory and God's majesty. Verses 3 through 5 will ask, in light of that greatness of God, what is man? And then it will close the same way it began. How majestic is your name in all the earth. The text says, for the choir director on the guitar, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens, From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made, what is man that you take thought of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God, the New American Standard said. If you have an English Standard Version, a little lower than the heavenly beings, you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the work of your hands. You put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field and birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We've stated before that when a phrase or when a section of Scripture maybe here as a whole psalm, when it begins and ends with the same words that could be called an inclusio or just an inclusion. And what it means is that everything in that is to be seen through that lens, that inclusio. For example, to use it with another passage in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for their is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who persecute for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5 3, Matthew 5 10. Jesus didn't run out of blessings to pronounce, but he was describing as he gave those Beatitudes what kingdom citizens would look like. In this particular psalm, O 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, frames this psalm through seeing it in the lens of the glory and the majesty and the greatness of God. Now I know some of these words that he uses are going to focus on man's exalted position in the universe. It has a lot to say about man, the key character is God, and even the exalted position given to man is all for the praise, the glory, and the honor of God. All of this should lead us to cry, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And it begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who has displayed your splendor above the heavens. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1.20 says that the heavens declare God's unseen attributes. We can see the heavens and see His unseen attributes, His power and His uh, divinity. We can see those through, we see those unseen attributes through what can be seen, what can be witnessed. But here, God's glory is displayed above the heavens. One well-known atheist stated that he would ask God why God went to such lengths to keep himself hidden. Are you kidding me? His name is written everywhere. Through all he has made, he has displayed his glory above the heavens and his glory is revealed from the mouth of the tiniest infants and nursing babes. They even establish his strength and his glory. You notice verse 2 makes a contrast between the infants and nursing babes and between the adversaries and the enemies. A passage, an idea that will come into play later in our lesson tonight. But in the heart of the psalm, in verses 3 through 8, he makes three contrasts that are very memorable and that show us how majestic his name is. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made. Notice the heavens are called the work of your fingers in verse 3 and in verse 6. The work of your hands, your hands, your fingers. But I think the idea in mentioning God's hands and God's fingers is to stress how huge God is in comparison to what He has made. What God has made is incredible in its size and its scope. Do you recognize that if someone could start at one end of our galaxy and travel the speed of light, which no one has ever done, but if you could do that, it would take 100,000 years to get from one galaxy to the other. And the distance between us and the 
medical reality is greater than that. And there are all kinds of galaxies that have been discovered by astronomers. And yet God spoke it all into existence. But as massive, as immense as the heavens are, the God who made them is so much greater than them. The heavens are said to be the work of His fingers. How big is this God? How great is this God who moves the little items of creation in place as we might do to some display of the universe? The heavens are the work of your fingers. How big is God to move it in place with his fingers? As Isaiah 40 verse 2 says, God holds the water of the world in his hand and marks off the heavens by the span. I know this is not always followed. But whether it be the study of the heavenly bodies, whether it be the study of the human body, or whatever one's field of science or biology, all of it should lead to the exclamation, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Because if you look at it through the right lens, all of it screams the glory of God. The heavens are so immense. And yet, God is much greater. And yet, when we look up into the heavens... And we see how immense they are. We see how vast they are. And we ask the question in verses 3 and 4 as we look at the moon and we look at the stars. What is man that you take thought of him or the son of man that you visit him? The vast heavens make us look so small and so insignificant. You are one of seven billion people on earth. Seven billion people. And if you were to die tonight, most of those seven billion people would go on as if nothing happened. I hope that makes you feel good about yourself. But I want to tell you something more important. The God who made you knows how many hairs are on your head. The God who made you knows your every thought and every concern and loves you more than any human being you've ever met loves you. What is man that you take thought of him? 
Let's say you find a product you believe in, you work for, and you start a company, and you start selling it. And pretty soon you're doing so much you can't do it on your own. You hire employees to work for you. Originally you have three or four. And you might know them and be intimately acquainted with them and all the details of your life. But your company continues to grow and grow. And finally you're the head of a company of 10,000 people. Are you going to intimately know all of those people? Are you going to send every one of them a note on their birthday or their anniversary? Are you going to be able to visit the funeral home any time that any of those have a family member to pass? And yet the God who made it can do that effortlessly with all of us. With all of us. And as we as one person among seven billion look up into a sky that seems to stretch to infinity we ask what is man who am I that you love me and care about me and God's not only loves us and cares about us. But God has given us an exalted position in creation. Now, I mentioned before that some of your translations in verse 7, you made him a little lower than God. That's the New American Standard translation. And that follows the basic Hebrew text. You've made him a little lower than God. The ESV has heavenly beings. Some of your versions have angels. That follows basically the Septuagint and other ancient translations. Which maybe thought it was an overstatement to say you have made him a little lower than God. It doesn't tell us that man is worthy of worship. But it does tell us that man is made in the image of God. You've made him a little lower than God or a little lower than the angels. And God has made man a virtual king in creation. Notice how terms associated with a king are used here in Psalm 8. He says in verse 5, You've made him a little lower than God. You crown him with glory and honor. Now, this is a rare word, but a couple of cases that it's used, the one from the board talks about crowning someone with a throne. Solomon's mother crowns him on the day of his wedding. Song of Solomon 3 and verse 11. And Tyre is uh, crowning other nations and their kings. You have crowned him with glory. 
glory and honor. Psalm 21 is a royal psalm, a psalm that talks about the king, the human king, and it says how great is is glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you place upon him. Splendor and majesty are the two Hebrew words translated glory and majesty in, in Psalm 8 verse 5. The point, the things that are said to a king in Psalm 21 are said to mankind in general in Psalm 8. You made him a little lower than God. You crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to rule. You've made him to rule over the work of your hands. I put up Judges 8. This word's used a lot of times in the Old Testament. But you remember that context after Gideon wins the victory of the Midianites and they say, you rule over us. And um, let your sons rule over us. And Gideon says, I'm not going to rule over you. My sons aren't going to rule over you. God is going to rule over you. I put it up because they're asking Gideon to be a king. And that word rule is used in that context. And here it's used of man. And you put all things under his feet. Psalm 110 does not use the same vocabulary right here. But Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The king, when he defeats his foes, is said to put them underfoot. As lowly as we are, we have an exalted position in creation. Man is over all the works of God's hand. All the sheep, all the oxen, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the heavens, all the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through path of the sea. I think the reason that dinosaurs fascinate people is because of their immense size. Is much larger than any projections of how large these dinosaurs were. And all of it is under man's dominion. If you've ever visited the circus and you've seen the park, For that one man, that one lone man, that brave but not so wise man is standing in the midst of a lion cage with only a whip and there's six or seven lions there. If you stood in awe of that, you're standing in awe of the God who has given insignificant man an exalted position in creation. All of it should lead us to say, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His glory is truly displayed above the heavens.
I want us to look at a couple of times this psalm is referred to in the New Testament. Psalm 8, verse 2. Psalm 8, verse 2 again said, From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, in context, is the last week of the earthly life of Christ. And Jesus is pictured in verses 12 through 17 as cleansing the temple. There are several elements of Matthew's account of this that are not recorded in Mark and Luke. Particularly when you look at verses 14 through 16 of Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, verse 14, And the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you not hear what these children, or do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? Jesus is healing the blind and the lame in the temple. He's healing the blind and the lame. I think it's ironic that the text says the chief priests and the scribes are indignant at the wonderful things he's done. They see all the wonderful things he's doing and they are aggravated. They are angry. They are incensed. But particularly, notice one thing that really gets their attention is when the children are crying, Hosanna to the son of David. Now that had been shouted to Jesus when he entered the triumphal entry in um, verse 9. In verse 9, when Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. But now they are shouting it right there in the temple courts. And these religious authorities think this is our space and we are not going to allow this. And they say to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yes. Haven't you read? Haven't you read in quotes Psalm 8 verse 2? From the mouth of infants and babes you perfected praise to yourself. In the context of this statement, the chief priests and scribes are the enemy and the avenger of Psalm 8 verse 2. And the blind and the lame and the children who are shouting Hosanna to the son of David, they are the infants and nursing babies. They are the ones who are dependent and trusting. And they have a better insight. They have a better insight into who he is and what's happening than the religious leaders who spent all their time studying God's law. You see, even studying God's law doesn't guarantee you'll see what's right and you'll see truth 
if you don't have a heart that's willing to believe. But I want to tell you something that's awesome about this passage. And that is profound about this passage. How does Psalm 8 start? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Uses the term Yahweh, then uses the term Adonai. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It takes a passage about praise to God and applies this to Jesus. Jesus takes a passage about praise to God and applies it to himself. Jesus is Yahweh Adonai of Psalm 8. Now the implications of that are profound. I've got on this slide, you see, Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. That passage quote is quoted in Hebrews 1 verses 10 through 12 and specifically applied to Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Specifically applied to Jesus. I apologize. An Old Testament passage about God is taken by the Hebrew writer and applied to Jesus. Often Jesus is identified with the human characters of the psalm. He is the righteous or innocent sufferer who pours out his grief. But here, Jesus is the God who is praised, whose glory is above the heaven. But, that's not the only New Testament passage. Look at Hebrews 2. Verses 6 through 9. Hebrews 2, verses 6 through 9. In this particular passage, as the Bible is talking about Jesus... It says in verse 6, but one has testified somewhere saying, how do you like that way to quote scripture? One has testified somewhere. And then he quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are, that you remember him? Or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You made him a little lower than the angels. In all your translations, I believe, say angels there. And they should at that point because it quotes the Septuagint. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You appointed him over the work of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. Now that's a quote from Psalm 8 verses 4 through 6. Notice how in the next two verses, in the rest of verse 8 and in verse 9, he's going to pick up some of the words of that quotation and apply them to Jesus. At 
the end of that quotation in verse 8, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. And now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels. That's a quote from verse 7. Who was made a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Again, that's a quote from verse 7. Crowned with glory and honor. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So he specifically applies the words of Psalm 8 to Jesus. Now, the word Son of Man... that talks about the Son of Man ascending to the ancient of days, receiving the power and glory and dominion. That is Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I think that passage, more than any other, stands behind Jesus' use of the term Son of Man. But most of the times when that phrase Son of Man is used, I believe it's used in Ezekiel, something like 93 of those times, of 107 times, uh, it, it just is a way to refer to a person, to a man. Here in Psalm 8, Psalm 8, verse 4 through 6, or verses, excuse me, verses uh, 3 through 8, it is a poetic way to refer to man. It's a poetic way to refer to man. And this passage, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him, finds its ultimate fulfillment in the one who was all that God intended man to be, in Jesus. Now sometimes I like to draw the board a line like this that gets further apart. And that means the fulfillment of a prophecy that's deeper and richer. But, but in a certain way, this statement, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man becomes more focused. What was said of man in general finds fulfillment in Jesus in particular as the one who sums up all that man should be. And two key characters in the Bible are God and man. And Jesus is both God and man. It is an amazing thing. It is an overwhelming thing. To think that God knows how many hairs of how many hairs are on my head. He knows everything about me. That is an amazing thought. 
But I'll tell you what's more amazing. Is that God loved me and cared for me so intensely that he died for me. That Jesus was made a little lower than the heavenly being for the suffering of death. He was crowned with glory and honor so he might taste death for everyone. The fact that one who could be praised as God died for my sin so that I could be saved. should lead me and you to exclaim, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It is an overwhelming fall. May God help us to stand in awe of it. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how great you are, how awesome you are. We cannot fathom how big you are. We can't grasp how infinite you are. And the fact that you are so awesome overwhelms us when we think of how small we are and yet how much you love us. That you cared for us, that you sent your Son that you gave him to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That you gave him to taste death for us that we might have life. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. To you be all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to surrender to this one who has done everything for us, for this one who has tasted of death for us, if you want to surrender to him by repenting and be baptized for remission of sins, we would love to assist you as we stand and sing.